Good afternoon and welcome to Acting Up, an hour of resistance radio that explores the movements that made us, drawing from the activist archives through to voices of resistance today. To start the show today, I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This year at Friends of the Earth, we're celebrating 45 years of resistance. So that's 45 years that we've been mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces from patriarchy to nuclear racism and transforming our future towards a more just world for all. This week you're with me, Em, and today I'm going to be continuing our retrospective series looking back at the amazing history of Friends of the Earth here in so-called Australia. Today we are looking down the long campaign trail that has slowed some of the traffic chaos in Melbourne, stopping tollways and mega roads from swallowing up the places that we live and play. Campaigning against mega roads and in favour of accessible public transport for all has been a key issue that Friends of the Earth has campaigned on since the 1970s and it is still going to this very day. So kicking us off on the show today will be Tony Murphy, who was involved in the F-19 blockade during the 70s. That was around the road that's now known as the Eastern Freeway. And he'll be talking us through the campaign landscape from the late 70s. And then we'll be joined in studio by Domenica Settle, who campaigned through the 90s with CAFE, the Coalition Against the Freeway Extension. Keith Fitzgerald, who's a local who's been involved with the East West Link and many other roads campaigns in his community. And finally, we're going to wrap up the show with a discussion with our guests and current Friends of the Earth Sustainable Cities Coordinator, Claudia Galois, to see where we're at now and what has changed and what hasn't and where we're headed. And before we get into the show, I'd just like to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of a Friends of the Earth comrade from Brisbane, uh, Jessica Harrison, who we interviewed on the show a few weeks back for, from Faux Brisbane, um, let us know that um, Peter Taylor um, passed away. He was a friend of Jessica's, and uh, they walked in. They did some amazing uh, direct actions together back in the days. And he passed away on the 29th of October. And he was a great person who's going to be missed by many. And we appreciate Peter for everything that he has. Uh, given to us in the faux community and to activism in, in Australia. So we are going to be covering the politics over our time of 45 years of campaigning here in so-called Australia, what we did and why it's still important. So stick around for that after this community service announcement. On Thursday 28th of November at 12pm, environment groups and communities from across Victoria will peacefully rally together at Parliament to call for urgent action for our natural world. After five years of the Andrews government, nature deserves more, especially in the face of climate change. Victorians need new and better funded national parks, stronger nature laws and better protection for our threatened forests, rivers, beaches, oceans and native plants and animals. We need real action for our natural places and wildlife now. Join in the Nature for Life rally. Bring a sign to highlight the natural places you love that deserve better protection. See you on Parliament Steps, Thursday 28th of November at 12pm. 
Look for Nature for Life Rally on Facebook and visit Victoria National Parks Association website vnpa.org.au forward slash rally. VNPA is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Acting Up and we're celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday with a retrospective series looking at our 45 years of creative resistance. This is M, and I've got Tony Murphy on the phone who blockaded what is now the Eastern Freeway with Friends of the Earth back in the late 70s. Thanks for joining us today, Tony. Oh, look, it's a great pleasure. Yeah. yeah, it's great to have you. So the campaign that you were involved with was the F-19 blockade that was to try to stop the creation of what we now know as the Eastern Freeway. And that road is a big part of, of the city of Melbourne now and how we conceive it. It's almost hard to imagine the city without it. So could you describe the area before that road came in? Yeah, well, Alexander Parade was just quite a... It, it was very wide with a really huge median strip and it was just sort of you know very little traffic and you know there's always people walking along there and having picnics in in the median strip and people riding their bicycles around it's it's totally different now of course yeah Mm. yeah and so can you describe how that f19 campaign took place Yes, well, it, it sort of grew out of, uh, you know, activists had been opposing major road developments for a long time before that, but I, I hadn't really been involved in those. But um, when the when they had announced that they were going to build that freeway, there were a whole lot of different groups involved in uh, in opposing it. And, yeah, Friends of the Earth was very active, of course, and there was a group called Citizens Against Freeways. Um, and there was just sort of a whole lot of anarchists and various socialists and feminists and all kinds of activists who, who, who could see that the quality of life in the inner suburbs was under direct threat and that vast sums of money were going to be wasted on freeways that weren't going to solve the problem of moving people around the city efficiently, but they were just going to destroy the way of life of people living in the inner suburbs there. Mm, Absolutely. And it sounds like there was a pretty broad coalition, you know, rallying against the road. What would you say the public's reaction was to all of that? Oh, look, it was huge support. And, I mean, just by way of illustration, um, at the heart of the campaign, we built a barricade across uh, both sides of Alexander Parade and it, it continued on across that wide median strip as well. It was just solid all the way and, you know, three or four metres high and made out of a whole lot of old fridges and dead cat bodies, etc. And all sorts of people that, you know, there was old people and young people and, you know, I remember... Uh, a sort of relatively elderly woman came along and said, look, I've got this old fridge being made to get rid of. And so a couple of us went around to her place with her and carried it back and dumped it on the on the barricade. And so we had enormous support. I mean, the vast majority of inner city people were strongly against that, that freeway, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, it's nice when, um, you know, the community can contribute in, in any way that's possible for them, even if it's just donating an old fridge. Um, it's pretty special to hear. So 
you know, obviously it was a really hard-fought campaign and it sounds like a really incredible blockade, but, you know, like too many campaigns, it wasn't successful and the road was built. So what would have been your biggest takeaway from that work? Uh, well, look, I think it, that's true. We, we lost that battle, but I think what we did do was, you know, it was it was headlines and the news every night and it was... Um, you know, in the in the newspapers every day as well. And you know, I remember one particular headline said F nineteen battle rages on and there was, you know, top half of the front page of the age was uh, a whole lot of actors being dragged away. Um mm-hmm. and so I think we forced it onto the agenda. And all of those issues about the you know, opposing opposing too much car use in favour of public transport and bicycles and walking and just having a more sort of pedestrian-friendly and bicycle-friendly suburb. I think all of those issues were put on the agenda. And I think, although it's true that we didn't succeed in stopping that freeway, it, it is true that, that, that we put those issues onto the agenda and made it possible for future campaigns to succeed like with the East-West Link that you're going to discuss soon. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's interesting doing this history series and kind of talking back to some of the, the conditions, you know, back in the 70s or 80s and what was kind of considered the norm in the public at that time, you know, in terms of just dumping uranium in the ocean was considered normal and now we just absolutely shake our heads. Did you find a similar thing in terms of roads and, you know, you're talking about, you know, making a more pedestrian city? Like, how do you think some of the attitudes around that's changed since you were campaigning? Oh, look, I think it's changed totally. I mean, you know, in the city of Melbourne now, they've done traffic analysis showing that the, the, the amount of time devoted to cars passing through an intersection is hugely disproportionate. There's thousands of pedestrians cross once the, the pedestrian crossing lights go on, um, but, the, you know, very little time is given to them. So they're, they're moving to address that. And that's, that's quite a, a big change for, for the city. And, and if I could just add, I think, because I was also involved in the East-West Link protests as well, and it was a great pleasure to come back nearly 40 years later and win the next round in that same project because it was really an extension of that Eastern Freeway that they that they tried to put through. And I think there were two elements that really stood out for me and why we won the Express Link. And I think, you know, that the Socialist Party organised the picketing of the works and that was vital because that pushed the issue up the agenda of, of issues in, for for the, the in the in the state election. But the second thing was I don't think we could have applied enough pressure to the then Andrews um, opposition directly, but indirectly, the the thing was that the Greens were poised to take the inner city because those four inner city seats, people were seething with anger, and uh, that Labor was so worried about losing it, they did the, those seats that they did a backflip on the eve of the election. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, and it seems like, you know, yeah, it's really great to get some of this historic kind of um, 
yeah, conversations around the earlier roads campaigns that have led to the conditions now where we have seen a change and it just shows you how it's all really connected, um, even up until campaigning now, which yeah, we'll be getting into later in the show. Thanks so much for yeah. joining us today, Tony. Yeah, no worries. I'll just add really briefly, yeah. I think the biggest lesson, the really biggest lesson was that in order to win any campaign, you've, you've got to have some really strong groups involved, but you've got to be very inclusive, you know, because we had, we had people that were landowners, we had people that were renting, we had people that were homeless and itinerants, and everybody joined in with a, with a single purpose. And I think that's the key to winning any campaign. Mm, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your insights today, Tony. We're going to be continuing the discussion with Domenica Settle about anti-road campaigning from the early 90s. We're just going to go to a quick break. Thanks so much. Tune in to Power from the Margins, 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability on 3rd of December. From 7am to 7pm, we'll feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019. You are listening to 3CR. This is Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday history series. My name's Em and today we are taking a look down the long road of campaigns against the Eastern Freeway, the East-West Link, and towards current projects. So here with us today to talk about, we've had a chat already about the sort of 70s and the early protests against the formation of the Eastern Freeway in the first place, but now we're going to move forward to the 90s, and we're going to be speaking with Domenica Settle, who was involved back in the early 90s with CAFE, so that's the Coalition Against the Freeway Extension Thanks for joining us, Domenica. No worries. So what was the CAFE campaign? So in, so in the 94 or thereabouts, um, there was a plan to widen Alexander Parade and they did that by, by chopping lanes or adding lanes, chopping the median strip smaller. And there was a big community campaign against it because, you know, much as people weren't particularly having picnics in the median strip anymore, we felt that there was a really that, that that was putting a whole lot of money into more money into roads and moving the bottleneck from Hoddle Street up towards Brunswick Street a bit further up, but not actually solving any actual problems around transport needs. But we were also very interested in in accessible transport and not dividing communities by putting big fat roads down the middle of them. Yeah, and how did you come to get involved with that cap- campaign? Well, I was uh, just a little teenager at the time. I was 16, and um, they leafleted the area. I lived in the area, they, they being presumably Friends of the Earth, um, and had a pub- public meeting, and I went along. And there just was not a persuasive case for why it was going to help anything, taking adding extra lanes to Alexander Parade. So I was like, well, this is ridiculous, and went along. And we also had a barricade <laughs> across the median strip and there was a direct action campaign and, and the coalition was a whole bunch of groups together but hosted out of Friends of the Earth. So I went on to become a Friends of the Earth activist back in my youth. Great. And so, you know, Tony before was just talking about how there was a really broad kind of cross-section of different people involved with the blockade for F-19. Did you find it was a similar thing for CAFE? Yeah, there was because it was very much based in the local community and a whole lot of people living locally were 
not happy about what was going on. So, yes, it was quite diverse. Mm. And what would you say, you know, um, the political climate was like at that time when you first got involved? It was pretty... um, dire in that it was the Kennett era and so I don't know if you you we young things remember but um Jeff Kennett was elected in I think 92 and he was a very uh right-wing premier who was very busy privatizing everything and there were massive demonstrations happening from teachers and from nurses and god knows who else who were losing their jobs because of privatization so it was a pretty dire time but he was also really popular because you know the labor party was seen as having made a mess of the state and he was a strong man getting things back under control so it meant that um we were fighting our battle in the context of a whole lot of other battles going on Mm. and did you find there was you know solidarity in being a part of that time there was, but also people were a bit ground down by it as well, I think. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the public, broader public response, how did that kind of impact the campaign? Um, so the, the local community was engaged and interested, at least to some extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, never hugely, but certainly <laughs> interested. Um, the community out in the eastern suburbs were, um, you know, all for the widening of the road. And I think that that's a real challenge for transport campaigns, that it's one thing to convince a local community of the damage to them. But if you're living, say, in Ringwood and you need to get into the city, there's a real job in convincing those people that, in fact, another freeway lane doesn't actually solve your problem because it kind of seems like a good idea if you don't think about it too much. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely... um yeah, attention, I think, that comes up for a lot of campaigners in relation to that kind of, yeah. you know, finding those balances. Yeah, but also um, it, where, the, where the widening was happening was a Labor-safe seat too, which always made it a harder campaign to win. Yeah, yeah. And so you engaged in a blockade of that same section of Alexandra Parade that um, Tony was talking about before. What Could you give us a bit of a picture of what the blockade looked like when you were there? Yeah, so initially we had the actual barricade and for a while there there was a little little caravan that was based on the site and we had um, Friends of the Earth's only mobile phone which was literally the size of a brick. Wow. It was really precious and you had to be really careful with it. Um, yeah, and, and we did a whole series of actions around direct action in terms of blocking bulldozers so you know sitting down in front of bulldozers and getting picked up and carried away by the police and um, we also did some kind of symbolic actions which were kind of fun where um we we dug up the there was big holes that had been dug out of the ground and we filled them in again <laughs> which was symbolically satisfying we also did things like occupying the Vic Rhodes office mm, yeah and so how did you find it well, something we've been just discussing with guests over the show has been you know the way that um those kind of direct actions or blockades and those kind of things have been um, received by police or security and that kind of thing. What were your interactions like at that time? Well, um, maybe I'm, I'm not remembering, but my memory of was that the interaction with police were pretty, was pretty good mm-hmm. and Friends of the Earth was actually very good at being organised and disciplined. And so, for example, there was always a police liaison person and a media liaison person and they would manage those relationships and, and we were conscious that the fight wasn't with the police. So... Getting angry at the cops didn't actually help anything and what was more useful is to concentrate on on, on actually, for example, getting your, your blockading done or whatever it was. Yeah. And so you mentioned the mobile phone earlier um, and also that, you know, you received a, a leaflet in terms of getting you involved in the campaign. How would you say technology was a part of the campaign for you in that time? Well, yeah, God, you're making me feel really old, <laughs> but um, another... <laughs> I remember the other day that we used to have a phone tree. So these days, if, you know, 
the cops have suddenly showed up and they're blockading, they're, they're pulling down your barricade. You send a text message out to everybody and they're all on site. So back then, some people had mobile phones, but generally you didn't have them. So, and we didn't, you know, most people didn't have email. So we had this um, chart that had one person would call the next three people on the list and each of those people would call three people on the list and you'd have this piece of paper with all these lists of names and phone numbers and there was this chain of calling people to get them down to the site. Yeah. And how did that work for you? Reasonably well. Under the, I mean, you'd think yeah. back, you'd be like, that would never work, but it was okay. Yeah. Yeah, I tried and true tactic um, for the Forest Collective we also found out in uh, last week's episode too. So as um, it's a good one that, you know, maybe we could try to think about re-engaging. Who knows? Yeah. But, yeah, we also had to do, um, you know, quite a bit of the hard yards of standing in front of supermarkets handing out leaflets, which I have to say is still a, a relevant tactic today. Yeah, absolutely. And so reflecting on you know, what Tony was saying about the F-19 campaign, was that kind of um, that campaign, that blockade back in the 70s, was that something that you were thinking about when you were campaigning in the 90s? Yeah, it was. Um, I've got to say I, I, I remember leafleting in front of... Safeway Fitzroy back when it was called Safeway yeah. and and people saying look I was involved in that in the 70s you're never going to win go home and and that was a sad thing that we didn't more successfully re-engage that community again and that people often believe they are defeated before they are defeated and that's not not a good way to win a campaign. Mm, absolutely and so what were some of the outcomes of that of CAFE and the blockading of the road extension? So the, the extension did go ahead. Yep. Um, in terms of what were that, the outcomes, I think that we helped to slow down that march of freeways that, you know, you were saying before you know, to Tony that that campaign was lost, but in many ways it wasn't lost in that if you look at the 1969 transport plan, which Claudia might tell us about later on, um, there was this massive grid of freeways that was planned for Melbourne and there's old copies of the Melways from the 60s where there's all these proposed freeways marked all over it. And, and if Vic Roads had its way, Melbourne would be this giant grid of freeways by now, like not just four or so coming into the city, but just a grid of them everywhere. And that there's a bunch of, you know, te- technocrats and bureaucrats who've wanted to do that for a long time and the community has, has if not stopped it, at least slowed down that process. And I also think also, you know, got to people talking more about other ways of getting around. And also I think that um, one of the important things with those campaigns, I mean, I didn't particularly think of it at the time, but now these days a lot of government proposals uh, are put to the community as if there is a consensus and that as if it is obvious that this is what the community wants. So the community wants Westgate Tunnel and the community wants North East Link. And I think that, that having those dissenting voices is really important for making people not take that statement on face value and go, well, just a minute, do they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting just thinking about, you know, I think a number of guests on, on the show have said that sometimes a win is actually just something not happening yeah. and that's quite invisible. Mm. Um, and so it's, you know, kind of remembering that actually, yeah, by stopping something happening, there's not some big monument or anything that happens. Business just goes on um, with a slightly better outcome for the community, but it's hard to kind of um, bring that to light always. Mm, yeah, and I do think that um, movements are not very good at sort of celebrating their wins and, and, you know, in many ways, yeah, it is a win that we don't have the 1969 transport plan implemented today. Yeah, absolutely. And so after your time with CAFE, did you, have you stayed engaged in the roads sort of space or...? 
I did for many years. So Cafe then morphed into Streets for People, which mm-hmm. was a Friends of the Earth campaign that was trying to do positive, so not just block things, but also talking about what we wanted. And we did a whole bunch of kind of daggy, fun actions like uh, dressing up in black and white and lying on the road where we thought there would be a zebra crossing, where there is now a zebra crossing in right. Tender's Lane. And somebody somehow got hold of a lane marking machine, little trundle thing you push along. So we drew some bike lanes <laughs> where we thought, where there are now excellent bike lanes between Melbourne Uni and RMIT. Great. Um, so yeah, I did a bunch of that stuff for many years and then went on involved, got and did other Friends of the Earth campaigns and also actually went and lived overseas for a year and did some transport stuff overseas. And then I got old and burnt out. <laughs> yeah, and it happens. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, you know... A history of burnout that does go alongside some of the campaigns too. So yeah, absolutely. So we've got a song that you've brought in for us to listen to today, The Violent Fence. Yes, which is not the 90s at all, but I was like, what was I listening to as a teenager? I was listening to The Violent Femmes. Great. And so we're going to hear Blister in the Sun. Is there anything else you want to uh, say about this song? Oh, like all the cool kids in the 90s were listening to this. Yeah, great. You're listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up. We're doing a history series for Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday. listening to 3CR. This is Friends of the Earth's 45th Birthday Retrospective History Series. My name's Em. I'm your host for the show today. And we've been joined by some long-term 
anti-road and pro-public transport campaigners talking about all things roads, particularly in the inner city of Melbourne where we've seen a lot of sort of big campaigns over the years to try to stop some of these mega roads going forwards. And we're going to shift forwards um, in our conversation now to chat about the East West Link and some other related campaigns with Keith Fitzgerald, who's with us in the studio today. Keith has been a local resident of the inner city Collingwood area uh, for about 76 years and was quite involved with the East West Link campaign. How are you going today, Keith? Good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. So you've been involved with roads <coughs> campaigning for quite some time. What's your experience as a community kind of, you know, person who's been impacted by some of these roads proposals? Uh, well, I, I was in, involved as a, more or less a ratepayer in, in the early 72 when Hamer uh, destroyed the area, you know, with the uh, widening of Hoddle Street and, and the eastern, uh, the F-19. Um, it was just, you know, absolutely disturbed, something shocking. Now, now we had people leave the area. It was, it was complete upheaval. Mm. Uh, we, we had lost 99 properties. Uh, we, uh, 36 acres of National Park, uh, Yarraben Park was lost. Uh, the medium strip, which we as kids used to play on in, on the parade, we lost that. Uh, you know, we, we lost quite a lot. And, it, you know, when I got involved with the with this latest one, I, I was a bit determined that they weren't going to... Yeah, so you've obviously had a long history of being impacted by some of those roads as someone who lived in the area, mm. and you were quite involved in the East West Link campaign, is that right? Yes, I was, yeah. Yeah, so how, what made you, what brought you into that campaign? Oh, well, as you say, what we went through before, you know, it was complete upheaval. Mm. People had left the area, it, uh, it was an absolute shocker. Hamer had no, no go in it whatsoever. Yeah. So with the East West Link campaign, how how did that when did that all begin? How did you get involved with that? Uh, well, I got involved when when they you know early doors. It, it uh, I think it started uh, in in May. He came out with Napoleon came out with his plan in May 2013. Yeah. Uh, we started our campaign in June or the June that year, mm. and we went right through to. December, uh, no, uh, October, just before the elections of 2014. So the campaign went uh, full on for, for 18 months. It was a long, drawn-out campaign. It was very, very heavy, I can tell you. Mm, I can imagine. And so what, were you, what was your kind of role as a community campaigner in the East West Link campaigning? Oh, well, I, I mean, I was just one of many. There was, yeah. uh, uh, what, I, what amazed me was the people that we had there, they, they were the, the highest quality. They were, we only had about 60, you know, and, but by God, they were, they were committed, dedicated, and, uh, very robust, I can tell you. Yeah. And so at that time, how did you feel like your community was going to be impacted by that East West Link development? Oh, well, I mean, we would have lost all. If they were going to put a flyover. It would have affected Bendigo Street. The whole, the whole 27 properties would have went there. Mm. Uh, that was just a start. Uh, and Parkville and uh, parts of uh, Carlton and, and that. They were, I think it was all up. There was over 100 properties would have went. Mm. Uh, there was 27 in Bendigo Street alone. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that, that flyover. There was a ramp that would come off Hoddle Street. Then went up 60 feet in the air, then turned east and went onto the freeway. Yeah. Um, since then, they've, they've, they've put a new lane onto to the freeway from Hoddle Street now, 
So I don't think they'll ever build that that ramp again uh, because uh, they'll put that extension of the uh, uh, the three lanes on. Mm. But you, but yeah. you never know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, in terms of as a part of the community campaign for East West Link, you know, we've heard there was a lot of blockading of the Alexandra Parade, you know, back all the way from the F-19 from the 70s. So what kind of tactics did you use as part of the East West Link campaigning? Well, the, the toughest two days of my life I've ever seen in my life was the battle for Westgar Street. It was just full on for two days. Mm. And, you know, the, 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 it was just uh, physical stuff with the police and that was just mm. unbelievable. And uh, yeah. this went on for two days and uh, we got headlines in all, all the papers for two days, the front page, of, uh, and... That's where our, our campaign turned around after the West Star Street battle because people were starting to think, well, you know, these people, if anything, they're, they're fighting for a strong cause and they mean what they mean. Mm. And so for listeners out there who might not be super familiar with the East West Link campaign, so what, what was the West Star Street moment? What, what was that all about? Well, that was a turning point. Yeah. Um, it was just full on, mm. know, really heavy. Yeah, and so were you blockading the, the street there? Or no, no, there, there was two drilling... Uh, core sampling sample drill, drilling uh, outputs there and uh, we we upset that we stopped them from drilling when people were locking themselves onto the drilling uh, mm. machines uh, one of the funniest things that ever happened up there was they tapped it into a, a center hydrant water hydrant to water for their for their for their drills mm. and uh, anyway the the group got around it and, and disconnected the hose wow <laughs> anyway they <laughs> They decided to go down to the butcher shop on the corner and asked, they asked him if they could use their water. So they tapped into his water. And then Mel Gregson came up to me. She was a coordinator, ground coordinator. And she said to me, would you mind going down with, uh, uh, uh McConville? Well, I can't think of her first name. Anyway, yeah. she said, go down and, uh, see what you can do to tell him to, uh, He'd lose a lot of customers if he if he keeps doing that. So yeah, so it's Tanya Tanya McConville. So, so there we go and we'll go into the shop. There's a fellow behind the young fellow behind the bar. I said to him, "Can I see your your, your uh, senior your boss, please?" And out out walked this six foot two Yugoslav, and, and I just happened to look down and he had a an eight inch boning knife in his hand. Wow. <laughs> And he says, get out of my office. I said, certainly, I'll text you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I get, we get outside and, and uh, uh, what's the name? She said to me, oh, she said, I said, who was that? She said, oh, I don't know. I, she said, I think that was Mac the Knife. Anyway, I went down to Mel Gregson and she was passed over the corner. I said, you're sacked. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. So it sounds like there was... Um, you know, a very colourful campaign, lots of personalities. Oh, well, what, what would a campaign be without a little bit of, uh, you, you know, humour and a little bit of uh, uh, going on to it? Yeah. So, you know, compared to those earlier road campaigns where they didn't necessarily stop the road development, the East West Link did stop the development, which is pretty yeah, well, amazing. Yeah, well, I was only saying the other day, we won the battle, but we haven't won the war. Mm. Um it looks like it's on again. It could be if uh, if the Libs get in in 22, uh, I, 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 they'll probably want to build it again. So we're we're getting in early and we're ready to go if they want to pull it on again. Yeah, and so you you at the moment are still involved in sort of road campaigning and in your local community. 
No, not at the moment, mm-hmm. no, but uh, I certainly will be if this, this raises its head again. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I must say that Yarra Council has been absolutely marvellous to us, mm. you know, for what they've done. And they're still right behind us at the moment. They've been yeah. absolutely sensational. Yeah, great. Well, we might just go do a quick break. And when we come back, we might have a bit of a discussion with everyone who's been on the show and our current Roads campaigner at Friends of the Earth, Claudia. And we can take a bit of a look at, you know, where we've been, where we're at now and how some of those things have interacted. We're just going to go to some quick CSAs. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dream time stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. Three CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Comme moi la dernière 3CR Community Radio, please subscribe now. Testami ona ila ida 3CR Community Radio araja al ishtrak al an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanali 3CR ai kettukondirukkirgal. Indre ninaiyungal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsukketsek Radio i Gairanin Porotangudam Elbumi Hai Kaotin. Hima artsanakrevetsek ipr 3CR antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. You're on 3CR Radical Radio. You're listening to Acting Up, and we're doing a 45 Years of Creative Resistance show, looking back at Friends of the Earth's history over the years. This is Em. I'm your host today. It's about 20 to 4, and we're coming towards the end of our show. We've been talking all things roads campaigning over the years, starting way back in the 70s today. And right now we've got Claudia Galois on the show, who is the current Sustainable Cities Coordinator at Friends of the Earth. And we want to have a chat about how this work that's come ahead of where we're at right now has culminated and led to the current campaign climate. So welcome, Claudia. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So you've been involved in Sustainable Cities for about 12 months. Yeah, that's right. And what sticks out to you the most about the stories we've been listening to so far today? So many things. It's been really fantastic hearing about um, the legacy that all of these road campaigns have and how that has led to the campaigns of today. Um, I think... Yeah, it's been really interesting hearing all the different tactics and how, I guess, how technology was used. I thought it was really interesting what Domenica was saying about the um, Alexander Parade blockade and how um, the phone tree was used, how there wasn't, there wasn't everyone, no one had, not everyone had a mobile phone, so people would call 
um, call each other, call one person, and then they would call three people, and the next, yeah, it would go on like that. And I thought that was really fantastic and interesting. And I think, in a way, that I think yeah, potentially those tactics could be used now. I think that um, social media can be quite impersonal a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and people are bombarded with millions of emails and messages and events. And um, I think really creating those connections through speaking could be a really good tactic to include. Um, and I think what, another thing that was, has been really interesting is hearing about um, like how leafleting is still such a, a common tactic and how that's really useful and how having those face-to-face conversations is really important. Mm. I was actually thinking just then, I'm sure I've seen some photos of the Sustainable Cities campaign out doing some leafleting many times. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, Domenica mentioned before, you know, the 50 years plan, um, or maybe 60 years plan, I'm not, can't remember exactly, but that there's a plan. Um, and I guess I'm wondering, you know, what's the context right now that you're working with in sustainable cities and what's happening with the, the roads? Yeah, um, so I guess Domenica was mentioning the 1969 transport plan, which is Melbourne's first and last ever transport plan. Um, it was mostly um, focused on roads. Some of those roads are still being built now, such as the um, North East Link, well, potentially. And um, we, yeah, I guess it's the 50-year anniversary this year, so um, in a couple, in next week, actually, next Wednesday, we're having a rally on the steps of Parliament um, where we'll be celebrating or, you know, commemorating the last 50 years. And, yes, we have come a long way in terms of transport, but there's so um yeah we we need to be focusing more on public transport and completely stopping building any more new toll roads so it's going to be 60s themed and there'll be music and everyone's going to dress up get dress up in 60s clothes and we'll be calling on a new transport plan for melbourne because at the moment it feels like we're still basing a lot of um the future of melbourne on a 50 year old plan mm, absolutely and interesting yeah talking about that in the context of, you know, Friends of the Earth being in that space for 45 years, coming up against the, that plan, and it's yeah. still the same. So yeah. that's quite, you know, full on, really. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in terms of some of the issues that Keith and Tony and Domenica were up against in their time as campaigners, like, how would you say there's similarities between what you're facing right now? Yeah, I think there are a lot of similarities. I think... Um what we're seeing now with the northeast link is basically a lot of people think that building extra roads is just going to be a quick fix you build an extra lane it's going to be fine but we can see from history that you build an extra lane more people are going to drive so um i think yeah a lot of similarities are just that focus on public transport actually does solve congestion problems and it um is better for people's health it's better for the environment um, and it can move a lot more people in a much more sustainable and fast way. So, um, yeah, so I guess that's what, like, it's so similar having those same messages. Um, and I think, I think there has been a, um, I think there has been, from those past um, campaigns, there has been a lot of change and people are starting to realise that public transport is much better than roads, but, um, yeah, we've still got a bit of a fight ahead of us. Mm. And, Domenica, you were mentioning that, you know, back in your time campaigning as well, there was still that misconception around the extra lanes 
kind of, you know, contributing to reducing traffic. And like Claudia is saying that we're still experiencing that right now. What would you, would you have any advice for how to kind of, you know, work around some of those myths? Yeah, I don't really know. Like, I feel like the real battle is, is convincing people and the outer suburbs of these issues. And yeah, I mean, I think that in terms of the shifts that have happened, so back in my day, there was a real feeling that, that people really loved their cars, that people wanted to drive because it's comfortable and they love their car. I think that's changed. I think as the city has got p- bigger, people just bloody will want to get to work. Yeah. And, you know, people are not wedded to their car. They just want to get there. And it's a pain in the ass getting into the city from the outer suburbs, yeah. whether you catch the train or whether you drive your car. And so I think that, you know, people have embraced public transport, like, patronage has gone up significantly and it's 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 not the second class option it's if it gets you there great but i think that there is a a task in convincing people that it's it's able to keep up and you know i was talking to a family member who lives where northeast link stuff is happening and she's like yeah but the roads there are screwed and it's true that the roads are screwed and and i i think we need to be wary of of Telling people they're bad for commuting by car, I think you've got to realise there aren't a lot of other options. Um, I think that the Metro Tunnel has been really exciting to see a government, state government put real money into public transport, but we need to make sure that that's just the beginning. Absolutely. And, Claudia, I've seen that sustainable cities have been working, you know, doing banner drops in Bournemouth North and kind of trying to work with some of those communities around where North East Link is proposed. How, what's your experience like being out in those communities yeah, it's been really good. There's some really active community members out there who are out there every every week dropping banners at 7.30 in the morning over the oncoming traffic who are bumper to bumper on the way to the city. Um, and I think, I think the main thing is there's not a lot of... Um, I think people actually just don't know about the North East Link. A lot of people don't know about it, and if they do know about it, all they've heard is this rhetoric that it's going to be fantastic and that it's going to reduce traffic. Um, so at the moment, yeah, we're just still trying to like um, create more awareness around the, around the issue and get more people involved. Um, I think there is, yeah, there are a lot of people who do think that it'll be a quick fix, um, and but at the same time, there are heaps of people out there who are calling on. Um, having more public transport such as Doncaster Rail which has been campaigned for for decades Um, but yeah Manningham for example is the only um, municipality in Melbourne that doesn't have a tram or a train network that rely fully on buses so yeah. Yeah it's pretty shocking and if the North East Link's built that's going to cut out that proposal for public transport in that area is that correct? Yeah, so at the moment, um, in the middle of the Eastern Freeway, there's a median strip that has been reserved for a rail line, um, and a lot of the community have been calling on that to be um, to be built, Doncaster Rail. Um, so with the North East Link, that will be paved over to create more lanes, mm. up to 24 lanes in some places, so it's going to be scary. <laughs> yeah. It's almost hard to even imagine what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. Like, quite big absolutely mm. and yeah I guess something that we've talked about a lot on the show so far has been about you know homes and the the human impact um and you know that that is a big impact of roads but you know you're also mentioning like the trees and the environmental impacts I guess Domenica and Keith like I was wondering if either of you have a comment about how the campaigns you're involved in also you know had an impact on the people but also the environment in the area yeah, so the Alexander Parade campaign was not so much about environment 
beyond the issue of air quality and the issue of air quality is a really interesting one because I actually live in the inner west these days and we have terrible air quality like our kids get hospitalized for for respiratory problems at a higher rate than the rest of the state but it's not a visible problem and it's not obvious what the causes of it are um so there's that issue that that's kind of hard to see and hard to understand but also what the coalition against freeway extensions did was we also worked acted in solidarity with the other end of the freeway so at the time in north so the freeway used to end in north baldwin um and there was a campaign there to try and stop the freeway from extending in the other direction and and you know so there was a little protest camp on the side of the kunan creek and that that camp that that campaign lost as well and they put the kunan creek in a pipe but it used to be a flowing creek in the 90s Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. And what about for you, Keith? You know, it was obviously at East West Link a lot about people's homes. Did you see some of those issues around environment also coming into play? Oh, yes. Uh, we lost 36 acres of, uh, of parkland there when they cut through the, the cutting there going through National Park. Uh, due to the massive amounts of earth that they took out of there, it's uh, insurmountable amount of earth they took out going under Hoddle Street and uh, this caused a, a, a massive problem with the foundations of the houses around the area. Um, some of them, you know, they spent... Uh, well, my, my street alone, eight of the 27 houses in Bendigo Street have had to be underpinned their foundations mm. and some of them up to $50,000 damage. Yeah. And that, that that's just Bendigo Street. You take a one-and-a-half-kilometre radius from from the main impact site, that's Hoddle Street and Freeway, you know, Clifton Hill, Abbotsford, I'd say there'd be tens of millions of dollars damage done to the houses mm. around the area. Absolutely. It kind of just, yeah, it shows how it's all really interlinked, that, you know, environmental, social justice issues really connected, um, yeah, which it's good to make that impact when it comes to the environmental issues. And now I'm wondering... After hearing from what Claudia's been saying, you know, Domenica, would you have, you know, what are you seeing the links between your campaigning and what's going on right now? Yeah, it's, a, it's, all, it's all a big continuation. We're going to keep fighting the same battles forever, I hate to say, Claudia. You're going to stop North East Link. It's going to be awesome in 20 years' time. They're going to want to build North East Link again. Yeah, sounds like it. That's, that's where we're going at the moment, but... Hopefully not. Hopefully we can change it. No, I'm actually, <laughs> that's actually way, way, way too cynical. I think that <laughs> as the population grows, freeways become less and less and less viable. Like yeah. the Westgate Tunnel, they're spending five years building it. They project it will be full ten years after it's built. Like that's just a losing battle. You can't keep up. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So in the face of that, you know, um, those issues coming up and up again, what's some advice that you might have for Claudia and current anti-roads campaigners? Um, my main advice would be to look after yourself. Like, it's a lot... You want to be here for the long haul. You need to be sitting in this 3CR studio in 20 years' time when you're in your 40s, a bit, you know, older and more cynical. Um, I think that it's really easy to put your heart and soul into a campaign and it is good to put your heart and soul into the campaign, but it's also good to go home and have a cup of tea and, you know, not not put your everything into it because you're hopefully here for the long haul. Mm. That's great advice, thank you. <laughs> and Keith, what about you? You've been involved with in the local community for 76 years. Lots of roads campaigning in your time. What's some advice that you've got for Claudia and other, you know, young anti-roads well, campaigners? I've, I've just highlighted well. six points here. Yeah. One, uh, the first one is a lot of people say this $4 billion that's that, that's coming from the federal government. Uh, I, I just don't understand these figures. Uh, in 2015, this is after Anderson said he's not going to build the freeway, the Auditor-General done a, a costing 
on the design, construction and operation and associated costs of the road through public-private partnership would have been $12.8 billion. Costs would be significantly higher today. So, I mean, $4 billion, what's that? I mean, it's just a joke. Mm. Um, with, with the building of the... Uh, you know the rail crossings and the uh, everything that's Westgate Tunnel, the North East Link, the Metro Rail products, and the, the, the uh, you know the, there's just enough money, to, not enough money to go around. If they start, if they went on and built the went and started the East West Link now, I'd say that uh, this state would go into insurmountable debt. Mm. And uh, the other thing is community cohesion and participation. If you stand on the bridge. Uh, Hoddle Street at the at the, uh, the freeway there. Y- you just have a look at the cars that come through. There's a hundred thousand cars come through there daily, and I'd say ninety five percent are driver only cars. We've got to start changing our mindsets. Mm. You know, we've got to start sharing the car, or, or either get into public transport, or cycle it where where it's available. But we won't solve this problem until they start. Sharing and uh, you know, using a little bit of common sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's those kind of big issues that we've got to keep keep coming together around and using those to to drive us forward. Yeah. Another one is the, the congestion tax. I think um, uh, the uh, Melbourne Council brought this up. They might have, or the Greens might have put it forward to the government, uh, where they uh, the three or six kilometre three three kilometre or a six kilometre buffer zone where you leave your cars outside, mm. the same as they do in London. Yeah. Um, and then you just get public transport in. I mean, it's going to cost, cause a lot of grey hairs, but, you know, maybe in the long run it'll be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's he- there's heaps going on still in the space, but we are running out of time here yeah. on our Acting Up Hour. It always feels like we could... Um just keep going and going once we've got great guests in the studio. But I'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us today, Domenica, Keith and Claudia, and, of course, Tony, who gave us a bit of history at the start on the phone. Could I just say one thing? Yep. I'd, I'd like to congratulate Tony. I haven't, I haven't seen him for quite some time. Uh, of course, Tony played a very, very big part in the F9, in the freeway. He, uh, he was... Uh, a litigate for Ron Merkel and Julian Burnside, the two QCs that took the case on. And without Tony, you know, we we would have been struggling. Yeah, great. So great yeah. to have had his perspective on the show. And I'd also like to thank my co-producers, Megan and Phil, for their work with the series and 3CR, who've been supporting us to make this show a reality. We couldn't do it without this awesome station. All of our episodes are available for streaming on demand via 3cr.org.au slash acting up. And if you are loving the series but you think we might have missed something or you've been involved with Friends of the Earth over the years, um, get in touch with us. So give us a call at the Friends of the Earth office or get in touch via our Facebook page. And next week on the show, we're going to be talking all about waste and what we've been doing to tackle it for 45 years. So make sure you tune into that. Up next, we've got Jan's Tuesday Home Time, which is another long-standing current affairs show. We're going to go out on another song that Domenica's brought in. This one's Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. Is there anything that you wanted to say about this song when we go out on it? Oh, the 90s. They were beautiful. <laughs> That's very true. You're listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up.
Can't deny.